Hello and welcome to my podcast. On today's episode, I will be talking about applying to medical school in the UK. Now, this is the second episode of my application to university series. The first episode was on applying to undergrad courses in the UK as a UK student or as a international student. All the information that I mentioned in that episode uh, is from the UCAS website. So UCAS.com is the website that everyone has to use to apply for all undergrad courses in the UK. Now do check it out if you're interested in um, listening to me talk about the UCAS.com website. If not, feel free to just check out the website. It's pretty useful. It has all the information that I mentioned in my podcast um, that you can use to go through and decide whether you do want to apply um, for whatever courses in the UK. So today's episode, as I said, will be on uh, applying for medicine in the UK. Now, all the information I'm going to mention on here will be from what I did uh, when I tried to apply for medicine in the UK, as well as information from um, the BMA, which is the British Medical Association. Um, so do check out that as well. So um, first of all, I want to mention about um, the qualities that you need to consider if you're deciding on becoming a doctor. So you got to remember that medicine is a very extremely challenging career. Like uh, literally from the moment you're in the first year, you are um, you know you have to be consistent with all your learning, and it's a lot. And then when you start doing clinical work as well, um, especially when you graduated from medical school, you know, you've got to be look, looking at doing like really long shi- uh, long shifts rather, sorry. Um, so you've got to really, really understand the realities of being a doctor so before you can commit to the pathway. So in the, for this, I would uh, suggest uh, looking up on the NHS core values um, as well as like, the NHS hot topics. Um, so you really, really need to know the inside and out about the NHS, especially when it comes to the interviews, because you will be asked about the NHS values and you will be, um, you know, most of the time you will end up working in the NHS after you qualify. So I suggest that you uh, look into the NHS uh, before you apply. Now, for those living in the UK, you know what the NHS is. It's, you know, you've had it all your life. For those coming from outside the UK, the NHS just stands for the National Health Service um, and it was founded in 1945, um, sorry, created in 1946 rather, uh, by the Labour government that came into office in 1945. So usually countries that have free healthcare, they normally fund their healthcare system privately, privately often using health insurance. Uh, private healthcare does exist in the UK, but for like a small amount of money. So basically, all the taxes that people pay in the UK, some of it's gone to the health service. So that's why it's uh, free to the point of use in the UK. Um, so just make sure you read up on the NHS constitution. There is just there's seven key points in the constitution. Um, and I would make sure that you look into this before you apply for medicine so that you know what you're uh, getting yourself into. I won't really talk much about it this on the, in this episode because it is pretty long um, and it, uh, I want to cover like more of the important topics like the entry tests. So also look at the um, NHS hot topics or so things like um, assisted dying, euthanasia, uh, vaccinations in the in the NHS, uh, things like um, abortion, Brexit and the uh, NHS, uh, because as you know for Brexit, for Brexit now all the EU students, so those from the European Union um, countries, are considered to be international students, so how that would affect and how that could potentially affect like whether the NHS will become private in the future, we don't know, gotta wait and see. Things about the BAME and the NHS, so that's uh, black and minority, ethnic minority um, 
and the NHS and the whole like treatment can vary depending on how you look. That's that's an issue. Um, as well as the junior contract issues as well that's been going on. So these are some of the um, hot topics. Again, if you search for NHS hot topics, it should come up either on YouTube or just on Google. So make sure that you do know these things before you go for an interview. Uh, it might be also worth looking in when you're writing your personal statement. Again, something that I will talk about in this uh, podcast. So um, you just got to make sure that before you apply that you understand what the good and bad aspects of a life as a doctor is. Uh, you know, for, for example, medicine, it combines a lot of like science and human interactions. Now, some people, they may not like the human interaction. They might like the science more. In that case, maybe medicine's not the way. Um, or maybe you do want to do medicine, but go into like a different route, like academic medicine. Something you've got to think about. Um, in that way, you'll still be a doctor, but you have like a genuine chance to make a difference in lives. But, you know, medicine... It's not just for doctors, you can also do nursing, physician associate, there's other healthcare courses out there as well. Um, so do look into those as well. So apart from, you know, you get a difference to make, you get the chance to make a difference. Uh, it's also very, very stressful. So you'll have like very long hours, um, you know, 12 plus hours shift. Now this to me is a given for most, if not all of the medical schools specialities there might be some that you only work like set hours um but for like nursing the hours for nursing is always quite long so whatever a medical pathway you go into just make sure that you're uh you know what you're getting yourself into um in this case i would suggest that you um have a look into like volunteering i know there are people out there that work as healthcare assistant that's a really good insight into medicine um, so if you can work as a HCA, do so. If you can't do so, volunteering is also a good, good um, insight into medicine. Um, you might not always get like the hours that a HCA or like a medic or a nurse gets, uh, but it's still a good start, especially if you're still at high school. Uh, it might be a bit difficult to get a HCA position, uh, especially if you're 16, 17, um, or even younger. So do look into volunteering um, in a hospice. Um, ideally, in an NHS setting, is the best. Uh, but also private hospices do work. Um, also, if you do decide to go into medicine, you got to make sure you also have the, like some excellent traits, like academic excellence, uh, which I will get into this uh, episode as well. As well as strong. Um, scientific ability, got to be able to have good organisation skills, have really good people skills like empathy, communication skills, that's both uh, verbal and written, uh, ability to work in a team, that's very important, leadership potential, also how to like deal with stress management and desire to learn and teach. Now, if you're applying to do medicine in the UK, there are two schemes that you should know about. So first one is undergrad medicine and then the second one's graduate entry medicine. Now with undergrad medicine um, it is five years long um, and you apply from it straight out of high school. Now graduates can also apply for undergrad the five-year undergrad course because that's, um, that's deemed to be less competitive than uh, graduate entry medicine. Now, graduate entry medicine is for those who already have degree or multiple degrees, um, and it's a four-year course, and um, yeah, so it takes four years, and usually you have um, like you know, a, a, you'll have a bachelor's of science and a degree, um, along with the master's. Some people also have PhDs. Some universities also accept. Um, also accept uh, university students who done like a humanities degrees. Not many university courses, uh, not many universities accept those with the, um, a bachelor's of arts degree, but some do. So just make sure that the ones you're applying to 
you've hit all the entry requirements you need. So you have like a really good GAMSAT schools because it tends to be the GAMSAT universities that accept um, um, non-medical, uh, non-scientific graduates. So places like Swansea, Nottingham, St. George's, um, Exeter and um, Plymouth universities, uh, they, they do five-year courses that also accept undergrad, uh, uh, sorry, graduates. Uh, in that case, you will also need to do the GAMSAT, um, and they only use the GAMSAT, so basically uh, identify between um, students, they don't actually use um, the other uh, qualifications you might have. So yeah, so whatever pathway you decide to do, either undergrad or graduate entry, just make sure that you do all your research. Um, because at the end of the day, if you um, know what you want, then hopefully you will get what you want. So, medicine is very competitive. Now, one way to decide between which students capable um, is having a really, really strong set of grades in science, maths, um, and as well as English, uh, especially if you... Um, did English at like GCSEs. So this GCSE, it's like a high school leaving certificate that students do uh, when they're 16 in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, for those coming from international um, countries, it might vary. So do check out your, uh, check out the university websites for more information on the, like the 16 qualifications, uh, the, sorry, the age 16 qualifications that you do. Uh, but most often, um, universities will look at the GCSE grades. Uh, some even rank students according to the GCSE grades. So make sure you're hitting like the nines and the eights, uh, or A stars, which is like the highest grade you can potentially get. Um, but also the second most important thing is making sure you get really, really high level, high grades in chemistry and uh, a second uh, sub-A-level subject, so biology. So chemistry A-level and chemistry biology are very important subjects for medicine. Um, you want, you will, once you start medical school, you will realise why chemistry is necessary, um, along with biology, because when you start things like pharmacology and biochemistry, it really helps to have a really good knowledge of chemistry. And the only way the universities know that you have a really good knowledge is by the level grades. So if you have an A or an A plus, that's um, that's very much necessary. You should also have a third A level subject, and it's usually in a science subject. So example is physics or maths. Some also use psychology as a third science subject, as well as um, uh, like uh, geography. Um, but I highly recommend maths. Because you do uh, biostatistics, uh, sorry, yeah, like biostatistics or statistics modules in um, medical courses. All these are usually like the really small courses. But if you're really interested in going into research um, after you um, finish your medical degree, or or during your medical degree as well, it's important that you actually understand um, stats. So I recommend mathematics. Um, you can also do Physics as your fourth third of a subject if you if your school allows it. Uh, I know it's changed now. You only do do three, but you know physics is recommended. And if you can drop it after AS as well, again I don't know if AS levels are still done now. It's been a few years since I left high school. Um, but if you can do it for one year and drop it, I would try giving a little physics a go as well because. Um, you know, you think physics is not really necessary, but when you get to like doing, like um, looking at like blood flow and like the physiological states in the body and like muscle contraction, kind of having a bit of physics knowledge really helps. It's not completely necessary, but it, it helps a bit. Um, so maybe physics, but you can also do another uh, subject. Uh, in an arts level, uh, so like history or modern languages, you can use that as a third A level, but just make sure that you hit the um, the A grade or uh, A star. Um, some universities also accept Bs, in which case I would uh, highly recommend 
uh, actually scratch that. I would definitely suggest that you do your research about the different medical schools before you apply and like what they require in terms of entry requirements because that's what you would need um, to have if you want to apply for that university. So UK medical schools also um, accept qualifications like uh, international baccalaureate. So if you're coming from outside the UK um, and you've done the IB, uh, you should be fine. Just again, make sure you've done the correct IB. I don't know if there's like any different ones uh, that the medical schools accept. In that case, look at the website for the medical schools. Just make sure that you your entry requirement fits. Uh, you can also use UCAS to look for the um, entry requirements as well, but I find that the university website is a bit more accurate. If they don't have any admission requirements, just uh, email the medical schools or go speak to them during an open day. Uh, it might be beneficial doing that way. Now, universities also tend to do contextual admissions. Um, so they use information like uh, socio-economic uh, and or background educational to give out contextual admission. So the universities, they can actually look into how your school is performing, um, how like, um, uh, like how, if a lot of students go to university from your school, like what kind of area is the school situation in? Is it like a rough area? Um, they're looking to like how many students receive free school meals um, and also like I said uh, they'll also look into your, your parental income if you were in care if you um, had a, if you're a carer for someone under 18 or like a disabled adult or disabled child the universities can look into it um, so things like your school achievement data as well as like um, the percentage of free school meals and like the amount of students going on to higher education, so that's university after leaving school. These are data that uh, the university can, universities can get from the government because like the Department of Education, they do like statistical, statistical tests. Socioeconomic background, um, it tends to be uh, the assessments that you give when you're applying for medical school on your UCAS pathway, sorry, on your UCAS um, uh, application. Um, so it tends to be from that. Uh, sometimes they use your uh, the university can use your post score as well to see if you do fit into it. Uh, um, basically, once that's been assessed, medical schools they um they consider if the student is uh good enough to be interviewed, uh, and then whether the uh, whether they can offer like an alternative pathway or such like an access course or like a foundation year course student uh, in need. In this case, you still need to actually show really good academic ability. So you still have to try and get like the high high grades, but they might give out offers, say, say for example, if the university entry requirements was three A's, um, the contextual offer sometimes maybe AAB or ABB. And usually like you have to make sure that you fit into the criteria that they set out for the contextual offers in order to be eligible for the ABB uh, or a, the contextual offers. Contextual offer, sorry. If you don't fit into it, um, it usually means you don't. Um, you're not part of the uh, scheme that, uh, that's used to assess this. So in which case you have to um, go with the normal criteria, which will be AAA, for example. So um, this contextual offer, they are usually under the section uh, called widening participation or widening access on the um, course page. So make sure you look at the result. Now, for anyone who's new to UCAS, um, you got to remember that you can only apply for five choices in the UK. So you can only apply for four medical schools um, and the fifth choice um, is a course that's very, very similar to medicine. So that's things like medical genetics, uh, medical chemistry, biomedical sciences, biochemistry. Um, Queen Mary's University uh, in London has a option on their website about the 
courses that they accept onto their graduate program. Um, so do look at that as well if you do want to do graduate into medicine. Um, sometimes uh, they might not always accept your degree, but if you can show that you did, for example, if you did like a dual honors in biology and chemistry, if you can prove um, using your course information that you covered uh, a lot of like organic chemistry, a lot of medicinal chemistry, as well as like a lot of human biology in your course, so um, it might be accepted. So make sure that if you do decide to go for your fifth option of doing a another degree for your applied medicine, that um, things that you covered in your degree is very much relevant to medicine. So things like genetics, um, like uh, organic chemistry, uh, medicinal chemistry. Like you might be wondering, why do I need those two subjects? Well, when you start pharmacology, you will understand. Or actually, biochemistry. You'll start that before you do pharmacology. You will understand. So um, you don't have to apply for the fifth choice. Um, you can submit it without the fourth choice. Um, sorry, without the with just the four choices. Now this is more for if you're interested in applying for graduate entry medicine. But if you want to take the gamble at undergrad level as well and still apply for the five year courses, go for it. Um, it's nothing stopping you. Just make just make sure that you know you're happy that you've hit the entry requirements before you submit. Which is a hard thing to do, but it's you know it's it's a gamble, and if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, fear not. Um, that's also clearing, uh, but. You can face that stage when you get to it, you don't have to think about it now. One thing also, when you're looking at entering, uh, at applying for medical schools, make sure you know, like, the different um, ways of teaching in medical schools. Um, make sure that you know you can fit into that. So things, so I would highly recommend going to an open day. Uh, now, I know that this is not always possible for students. Uh, because of time constraints, money, whatever. Um, in this case, I would recommend using like Google to find out more about your university uh, or the university you're interested in, like using Google Maps to see um, how, um, like what the university looks like, um, if you can like, look at the accommodation, go for it as well. There are also virtual tours on YouTube. I'm sure if you go for the university website, they will have like virtual tours of the campus of the accommodation options um if you know people who live in uh, or are studying in that particular university ask them to like uh, give you a tour if you can go um you know, obviously if you're an international student it might be a bit difficult in which case ask them to send you a video um of the tour uh there's like loads of youtubers as well that do um tours of the university online so like do have a look at it um Try it. I would say try and use Google Maps and try and use the street view to see street view to see if you can actually like fit into that uh, universities. That's what I did when I was applying for medical school, but because I didn't know if I um, do well in those um, areas, um, especially London because it's quite expensive, uh, and the, and the tube system in London I I found confusing initially. Now I I'm okay with it. So just make sure that you are um, happy with it. So medical schools as well also have like different teaching methods. Some like Oxford Cambridge are very traditional uh, in that you they'll cover physiology as a physiology module uh, and they'll cover anatomy as an anatomy module. Um, some courses, some universities will also do uh, PBL, um, so it's problem-based learning. You get like, given like different different problems. And you learn a bit about anatomy and uh, physiology from those problem problems. So do have a look at those as well, course curriculum. Um, the universities will have course curriculums on their websites. Um, so do look at that. Um, but I highly recommend going to the open day for these because that's how you would know more about the course. Obviously, if you can't go, don't worry. There are options there, I just go like Google. Um, so things like uh, Reddit and the student room as well, they are pretty good at giving out useful information about the university. And sometimes you can get very like straightforward advice on how to survive in the medical school. 
and how people are finding it. So do look at those two forums as well. So that's just a bit about applying to university and like making sure you find like the right medical choice, uh, medical school choice. Um, so make sure you do your research, you do your um, like work experience or like paid employment in a, in a caring role because that's very very important so things so you can get involved by you know like uh messaging your local hospital or nursing home to see if you can do a placement as well as getting touched like doctors who you know very well or like your local gp if you can do work experience with them the, the hospitals in the uk have volunteering uh departments uh contact them and see if you can go as a full-time volunteer uh this is particularly useful when you got your summer holidays or if you're taking a gap year, if you're taking a gap year after you finish finish high school, just um, make sure if you can do uh, work as a healthcare assistant, because um, that uh, honestly that gives you more insight onto the role because you literally will be uh, doing quite long um, long hours. So another part of your uh, application for medicine is the entry uh it's the um the uh not entry you have the entry requirements where you have the ucat the entry tests so the entry requirements is like the grades that you got from high school the entry tests they are ucat bmat and gamsat so the uk has three so the ucat the university clinical aptitude, aptitude test and it's used by i think around some 30 or so universities i could be wrong to check that and it's a two-hour computer-based test that um basically universities use to gauge whether you have the attitude the mental ability and the professionalism to drive to thrive sorry and drive your knowledge and passion in medicine so it's a key requirement for a lot of medical and dentistry courses as well. So when you apply, your UCAT scores will be assessed alongside your grades, work experience and personal statement. It used to be called UK CAT, so United Kingdom Clinical Aptitude Test, but now the test is called UCAT because it's been introduced in Australia and New Zealand as well. So, um, so it is definitely a requirement to do this UCAT you can't, in the UK. You can't be exempted from it. Um, and you, um, so yeah, just make sure you um, like uh, understand what it involves. Um, so you can apply for like, the universities that use the UCAT as well. So it is an aptitude test, not an IQ test. So it's just using, it's trying to determine your ability in a particular skill or field of knowledge rather than measuring intelligence um that's what it's trying to do and um it it was created just um tested a lot of different skills like uh, problem solving communication numerical skills spatial awareness integrity and empathy as well as teamwork so like i said it's a two-hour test uh it's done on a computer and it's split into five subtext um so you have your verbal reasoning which takes about 21 minutes to do and you have 44 questions and it tests your comprehension skills like your reading skills basically then you have the decision making which is about 31 minutes long and you have 29 questions to answer and it's your ability to solve text and visual data related questions you then have to do the quantitative reasoning section which is uh has about 36 questions and you go to complete it in 25 minutes and it tests your math skills and then you have the abstract reasoning which is about 12 minutes long and you have to answer 50 questions and you had to spot patterns and ignore any irrelevant information that you might know so you had to basically spot patterns using the information that's in the exam and then you have the situational judgment or the SJT test which takes 26 minutes and you have 66 questions to do. Now in this SJT test, it has a capacity, it, it tests your capacity to understand 
real life situations and behave appropriately in them. So usually the scenarios for the situational judgment are from like a hostile scenario and you've got to try and make sure you put your shoes, make sure you put yourself in the shoes of the person and you um, answer that the best choice possible. So how is the test scored? So you get uh, you get between 300 to 900 points for each of the first four sections. So each of the um, verbal reasoning, decision making, quantitative reasoning and abstract reasoning. Um, and then your overall result will be added together to combine. Um, you may also see your UCAT scores three digit number which reflects like the average um, of your performance in each section. Um, and on the second part of your situational judgment scores, you'll be given a band between one and four. Usually one means that you're like, you're really good. And then four is like, it could, it could be better, basically. So the UCAT scores, they're sort of into deciles uh, with each one representing 10% of candidate, candidates. Uh, for example, uh, a score in the first decile means that you have scored in the bottom um, of all, bottom 10% of all UCAT takers. Uh, score in the ninth means you are in the top 10%. Now the UCAS test results will be given to you immediately after you finish the test. Um, usually you do it in centers that uh, use the Pearson view and you can also get it in your Pearson view account. Now for those who've done like ILTS or driving lessons, this is the same company that does the UCAS as well. Um, your, your results uh, will be shared with you, shared with the universities you applied uh, on the application deadlines after which the UCAT universities will be able to see your scores. Now, with the UCAT, um, you actually do it before you submit your deadline, uh, submit your application. Now, the deadline for application in the UK is usually around the, the second week of uh, October. Um, so I think uh, for the 2023-2024 entry, it's on the 13th of uh, October. Um, and it's usually around like that time, or the 13th or the 15th of October. Um, so you can, you will have done it before you actually submit your um, application, so you'll know your UCAT score before you apply. So usually, if you get a score of above six fifty or above, that's considered to be like a UCAT, um, like a really good score. So this will be the sixth decile, or the sixtieth percentile or higher, which means that you had to have like an overall score of two five seventy. So 2,570 or above. Um, but the technically a good UCAT score is whatever the score you get above the threshold of your chosen UCAT universities. Um, and this varies from like year to year. So the average scores tend to vary from year to year. And um, usually if you get like less than 610, it tends to be like a really low score. Um, in which case, I would say you need to be strategic with where you apply um, for universities with the score. So every year the score changes, so make sure you look at like previous UCAS, uh, sorry, UCAT scores. You can find it online um, and you make sure you um, know what your uh, score is before you apply. So it just gives you like a good idea of like where which universities you, you can apply and where you can't apply. Um, also, Pearson, the company that does the um, test, I remember that they would send you um, like the um, what the average score so far has been because what what is it the UCAT? It's that it um, starts in July. So you can start doing your um, test from like mid-July and it um, goes until like this end of September basically to do your um, testing, the video test. Um, and it, um, it also means that by the time you get to like September, you might be able to find out the average score that um, you have um, 
you that people have been getting so far. Um, so you they will send you an email. Pearson will send an email to your account, and you'll be able to see like the the threshold scores that people are getting. And then it's in your best interest then to say, okay, I've waited until early September to apply. The deadline's on the end of September, so I need to try and um, book it as soon as you can. Now you do have to uh, pay for um, pay for your um, your cat test. And I think it's, it's uh, I can't remember how much it was actually now. Um, it was, yeah, so if you, 70 pounds, I think. So if you're taking it in the UK, it's around 70 pounds. Taking it outside the UK is 115, 115 pounds, so 115 pounds. And uh, UCAT also has like a bursary scheme that you can use, but that's only available for UCAT, UK students. Um, so UCAT as well, like I said, it's two hours long. If you um, have a valid reason as to why the test should be longer, uh, because you have like um, dyslexia, for example, uh, they can, UCAT will also give you extra time as well. So make sure that when you're, for UCAT, it will give you extra time. So make sure that you apply for extra time when you're applying for the UCAT as well. Now that's just a bit about the UCAT. Um, stuff. Now there's a lot of resource out there to uh, help you with your UCAT um, so make sure you look into it. Some of them you do have to pay. There are um, free things there as well. Just make sure that you um, look into it more that um, so you know what to expect. So yeah, so uh, just a bit about the um, extra time. Um, so that just means that you get 25% extra time so that's, uh, it's called UCAT Sen, um, and you get around 150 minutes to do the exam as opposed to the 120 minutes um, uh, you have um, if you're not doing the UCAT Sen. So this is just um, for those who are eligible for it. So if you have like dyslexia, if you're on the autism spectrum, um, like other, like a hearing impairment or visual impairment, um, as well as like ADHD, ADD, and things like that. So make sure you look at the UCAT official um, arrangements for it, um, so you know what to expect. So that's just a brief, brief overview about the uh, UCAT. Um, now the second test that you can do for undergrad courses is the BMAT, so the Biomedical Admissions Test, and it's also a two-hour um, aptitude test. Um, and it has three sections and it tests a broad range of skills in those three sections. So section one, you have um, it tests your skills in problem solving, um, understanding arguments and data analysis and interference. So you have to answer 32 multiple choice questions in 60 minutes. Section two, it examines the ability um, of the student to apply scientific knowledge that is usually covered in science and mathematics lessons at, in school by the time you're 16. You have 27 multiple choice questions you've got to answer in 30 minutes. And then section three, it's uh, basically you have to write an essay on one of the three questions that you get. Uh, you have 30 minutes to do this and it's assessing your ability to select, develop and organize ideas and to communicate them concisely and effectively in writing. It's a tough exam as you can't use a calculator or a dictionary um, and obviously the time pressure is great which is also very very uh, uh, the time pressure is also then that you can't take out. So uh, the BMAT um, like I said um, you can only do it once a year, uh, just like the UCAT as well, uh, BMAT, and it's uh, usually around October, and it's after the um, application cycle for UK universities, so after the uh, the UCAT, uh, sorry, UCAT deadline. Um, so it's usually around seventy five pounds to sit the exam. Uh, outside of the UK, it'll cost around hundred pounds to sit the exam. Late registration is possible, but it's going to pay extra. 
Um, but I think this year there was no late registration. So make sure you apply in time. Um, you can also get bursaries just like with the UCAT, uh, but make sure you apply in um, time. So to register for the BMAT, you've got to find a test centre. So usually this could be your school, um, but you've got to check the BMAT um, website as well to see uh, other test centres outside your school. Um, so then you have to ask the exams officer to register for you a test and supply the details, personal details, listed on the BMAT website. So this includes your name and date of birth, your UCAS number, which you will know after you've applied. Um, like I said, the BMAT test is after your UCAS deadline for medicine. Um, the names of the courses and universities you're applying for, you need to like add this as well when you're doing your BMAT. So when the time comes for the results to be released, it could be sent straight to university. That's why you need your UCAS number as well as the courses and the universities you're applying for. And then evidence if you need to have like extra time. Um, You'll also get like your candidate number, which you need to write down. Uh, it starts with a B and it's followed by five digits. Um, and you've got to make sure you prepare for the test thoroughly as well. So the BMAT scores and how it's scored. Um, so it's a bit complicated because your score is reported as a scale rather than like the sum of all the points you've achieved. So remember for the UCAS, sorry UCAT rather, it's the sum of all the points you've achieved. So in section one for the BMAT, you can get a maximum of 32 points. In section two, you can get a maximum of 27 because every correct answer will earn you one point. But your score will be reported on a scale between 1 to 9 and not the number of points you get. The scores, the sections are neg negatively marked, which means that you won't lose a point for each wrong question. For the third section, you'll be given a score between 1 and 5 for the quality of content and then a grade A, C or E for the quality of your English. And the essay is marked by two exam examiners, so you'll get two scores, and then that the average of the score is your uh, final score. So when will you get the BMAT score? So for this year, you set the BMAT on the 18th of October, so in 2022, and then your results will be released on the 25th of November 2022. Um, so unlike the UCAT, you will actually sit the exam will be met after the UCAS deadline and also get um, your results after the UCAS deadline. So again, it's a bit of a gamble on which uh, universities you could apply for based on your BMAT scores and it depends on how you, how you um, perform on the day. Um, so again, make sure you know um, that um, you, you're happy enough to uh, take that gamble. I think there's around seven universities that um, take BMAT uh, schools into consideration compared to the 30 that does UCAS. So, you know, you, it's um, uh, 30 versus 7 is a big difference. So make sure you do your research thoroughly and find out what the cutoff points were from previous years. Um, and like I said, resources are out there. You can also get like past papers and preps about um, how to apply for, um, or how to like do well in the UCAT and BMAT. Now, if you're, um, if you're like me and you're interested in applying for the uh, graduate entry program, you have to do the GAMSAT. And it's it's a hard exam. So the GAMSAT, it uh, stands for uh, Graduate Entry Medical School um, Admissions Test. And it takes a, the whole day to complete. And you have two chances in one year to do it. So you can actually do 
the test twice in one year. And there's about seven universities that look at um, GAMSAT. So the GAMSAT, uh, it's divided again into three sections. You have reasoning in humanities and social sciences, that's the first section. You have about 10 minutes of reading time, and then you had to then use 100 minutes to, um, to do the test. In that 10 minutes, uh, when I did it, you couldn't make any like notes or anything like that. You just gotta like read through uh, this like passage. Uh, it could either be a, a poem or like a book passage, and you had to answer questions. Um, using what you only learned from that passage, not outside knowledge. And then section two, you have uh, written communications, um, and it's about, you have like five minutes to read that, um, and you have six minutes to write. So this is split into section A and section B, and basically you write two essays based on like the title that they give you in the exam. Um, and then section three is reasoning in biological and physical sciences. So you have about 10 minutes reading time and you've got to answer the questions in 170 minutes. Uh, it used to be taken as a paper test, but now you can do it on a computer. And when I did it, uh, it was still a paper test because of... Uh... No, wait. Oh, no. When I first did it, it was a paper test. And the second time I did it, it was actually a computer test. They um, changed it. Um, COVID. So GAMSAT's offered twice a year, so in March and September. Um, if you want to see the GAMSAT in the UK, um, March time, uh, your test centre is limited to either London or Liverpool. Um, but if you, know, if you sit the test early, you'll get the chance to reset later in the year if you need to. Uh, usually for the March sitting, uh, registration opens in November and you got to apply by 30th of January. The September GAMSAT uh, is more is available at more test centres uh, and you have between like mid-May mid and mid-July to sit. Now the GAMSAT is very expensive so it costs £268 to sit in the UK and uh, if you register late you have to pay an extra £60 uh, and this is not to include like um, the getting to the test centres because the GAMSAT test centres is very limited compared to the Pearson test centres for the UCAT. So I did uh, the March sittings uh, and I had to go to Liverpool for that and I actually had to stay overnight because I couldn't do a, a day trip into Liverpool. But I did it in September it was Sheffield for me and I couldn't actually take the train into Sheffield so I did it on the day. So you've got to really consider how like you want to do it. And you get the GAMSAT scores via email um, after the testing period is over. You don't really get a, a date as of when you do, when you get the test results back. Um, so usually if you did the exam in March, you get it at the start of July. For the September setting, you tend to get the results in late November. So again, even though you do the test before the UCAS deadline, you'll get the results after the UCAS deadline. So again, it's up to you as to how you um, want to play this. Some graduates, they apply for the five-year course because they have all the uh, requirements from the school, high school, and they got their degree and they know that UCAT, they may have done it before, they are comfortable doing the UCAT and they know they can succeed in the UCAT, they apply for the undergrad courses. Some graduates prefer the GAM side uh, test because you it there's no limit to... Um, sit in the GAMSAT, so you can sit it twice a year and again the next year because what happens with the GAMSAT results, you can actually choose which GAMSAT results to send. So if like one year you did really well, but the next year you did bad, you can use the results from one year because the test results are actually valid for two years. So an advantage um, for GAMSAT. Now there's a lot of like resources again out there for GAMSAT. Um, but what I would do recommend is like I would read as much as you can. So read the news, read different different poems and books, and like for practice for session three, just look at the preparation materials that you find on the um, gamut providers. So in this case, the 
Acer company is the one that does all the testing for Gamsat. Look at their um, stuff uh, and try and figure out how to pass it. Um, because it is very difficult and it is very expensive and it's a test you don't really want to keep doing every single year, like twice a year. Could be looking at spending like at least a thousand pounds per year, you know, in including like the um, like the travel fees and like accommodation fees if you need to stay over. So do think things through what the gums are. Um, yeah, so that's just a bit about the entry test. Um, so like I said, all the topics that I mentioned in this. Um, in this um, podcast and this episode are available online um, so do check it out as well because it is a lot to remember. Now once you've done your tests uh, and you've filled out your UCAS application um, make sure that you submit it on before the deadline so usually like I said it'll be in the second week of July um, so medical school applications, along with dental and veterinary, they tend to be the second Thursday of October. So remember that. Remember to send it before the time deadline as well. So once you've submitted everything you need to submit, um, if you're lucky enough, you'll be called for interview. And now this is like the other way that uh, medical schools assess candidates. And they use either MMIs, which is multiple mini interviews, or they use the traditional panel interviews for their selections. Now, with the MMIs, um, they interview students on many different skills. So to get the better picture of you as a candidate. So you'll get like a variety of opportunities to impress the um, examiners at the different different stations. So um, at the minute, a lot of the med- uh, we don't know if the medical schools are going to be doing the MMIs in person or uh, remotely. Um, so again, it's uh, up to you to like, look into it because if they are doing it in person, it means that you would have to spend a lot of time traveling um, and stuff. So do do take that out before you apply. Um, so MMIs, like I said, it's start stands for multiple mini interviews um, and they're broken into stations or mini interviews that tends to last for 10 minutes or less. Uh, before each one you'll be given a scenario and you have some time to prepare an answer. You will either be asked a question by an interviewer or you have to engage in a role play scenario with an actor whilst the interview watcher interview watches you. Um, so. MMIs tend to take around two hours and each station is about 10 minutes long. And you have like some time obviously in between to make sure that you know understand the scenario as well. Um, so like again, um, this case is about MMI online, so do do check it out and watch YouTube videos to get more understanding of it. Um, and these MMIs they they show the interview that you are capable of doing rather than just telling them. So it's a chance for the students to show that they have what it takes to be a medical doctor. And it's not just about grades, but it's also about like attitudes and skills. Um, so it's just basically testing your critical thinking, communication skills, ethical and informed decision skills as well. And this is where knowing like uh, current healthcare um, and social topics, so remember the NHS hot topics will help with. So, like I said, watch YouTube videos, um, use your knowledge that you had from your work experience to try and prepare for the MMI, um, and keep up to date with the news as well, like especially with like what's happening in healthcare. And um, if you're still struggling, there are help out there, like uh, interview tutors that can help you with it. Uh, but I would suggest looking at YouTube first before you um, before you go in, um, into like paying for a tutor. Um, so that's just a bit about the MMIs and then you have uh, traditional panel interviews as well. So which is basically you, um, you have like uh, 
people sitting then they'll ask you um, questions uh, and it's more question focused not on task based so you'll be asked a number of questions that you had to answer and it's a, a lot like a conversation between you and the interviewer rather than like back-to-back -back questions and you get a bit of longer time to think about your answers and elaborate um, more on your answer than what you have in MMY. Um, there's a lot of people that are on the interview panel, so you could be like made up of a GP or a nurse or a lecturer or a admission student or sort of like a junior doctor or a current medical student or like someone else altogether, even like a lawyer, so like a non-medical <laughs> professional. And you know, it, it depends on how long it lasts, or so, you know, it could be like in time between 20 to 40 minutes, maybe less, maybe more, depending on how um how it goes um the questions also very vary and you can't they can't really uh, rehearse ahead of time and you can't discuss the questions of your interview as well um but you know if you looked at the websites for the medical schools you can usually find out clues about what they are um, looking for or what kind of topics you can cover um so you know you can if you already put out like um, investigating, do check out as well online if you can find any clues about how we can um, how to prepare for it. Um, so that's just a brief overview about studying medicine in the UK. Now, like I said, there are information out there about how to prepare for this. Um, for all the various um, tests of the UCAT, BMAT, GAMSAT, as well as the uh, interview um, process as well. There's a lot of help out there, a lot of information out there. But the main thing I would say is making sure that you know, you do your research thoroughly and you know what university you want to go to and based on your grades, um, where, which universities are feasible to go to. Now, this may be hard if you still don't know your grades because you um, you uh, applying to university using predicted grades. Uh, now, if you're obviously already have your A level grades, or if you're a graduate who knows your degree status, then obviously it makes it easier for application. Um, so, in that case, just make sure that you are highly motivated and you're doing your um, prep um, to like a high level. Ask your teacher for help as well, because at the end of the day, they are the ones giving you reference. And if they know that you're motivated and you're asking them for help, they will support you with your endeavours. If you need extra tuition as well, like again, ask your teachers, like if you can see them outside of school, to like get help with topics you don't understand. If you're happy to pay for extra tuition as well, do go for it. Um, again, there's there's no harm in getting the extra help when you need it. Uh, because that's, you know, when, you, when you're working as a doctor as well, getting the extra help ready is necessary and it's part of teamwork. So, yep, that's just a, uh, I was going to say brief, but it's indeed one hour of info on how to apply for medical school in the UK. Now, if you have any questions and you want to ask me, if you do feel free. Um, I'm also happy to look over personal statements um, for free. Uh, this is a key part of your UCAS application and you need to write about 4,000 characters or so around 47 lines of uh, what it takes for you to be a doctor and it's hard and you want to try and focus on your um, experience that you've had from like volunteering uh, as well as like helping up in like a care setting uh, in whatever way you can. Um, so do mention it. I am happy to look over it for free. Um, just send me an email. Uh, it's couchpotato708.com uh, Sorry, sorry, 708gmail.com uh, and I am happy to help you out when possible. Uh, you can also contact me on Twitter or Instagram if you search that medic couch potato. Um, you can send me a DM. Uh, with your um, personal statement and I can have a look over and um, send it back to you for free. Uh, with interview prep, I can help that as well. I, um, it's been some time since I did it, but I am happy to help out. But like I said, there's YouTube stuff out there that is probably more up-to-date and more helpful than I could potentially be.
um, especially when it comes to doing like the entry tests. So do check them out as well. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna wrap it up now because it's nearly one hour of me talking. Um, and good luck for those who want to uh, apply for medicine. You got this. Good night.